0: buddy and welcome to this first episode of our season 4 of the Rise Up Ignite Your Life podcast. This season we're going to be bringing voices from the front line front and center for you and today my guest Ken Noble is a representative of an often forgotten or overlooked frontline public servant. So we're going to talk a little bit about a little bit about uh, what it is to be a chaplain and a pastor and someone who is there to be a safe place for other people's emotions and stories, and also the progression of starting one's own business and coming into an awareness of how important leadership can be in our individual personal lives as well as our professional lives so please welcome ken noble of noble leadership solutions to the show hi hi ken
1: <laughs> how are you ma'am
0: i am so good i'm very happy to have you here that we finally managed to connect after so many <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so many attempts on both sides it's been it's been really fun Uh, We both have chaotic schedules, so we had to track each other down, and uh, we've had, I think, four efforts to make this happen, and we've both been called to duty (laughs) every time (laughs) that we have tried to connect. So, uh, Ken, you took, you're working as a member of the John Maxwell team.
1: Yes. Uh So,
0: what inspired you to take to join that team, to take those courses and to, to jump on board that train?
1: Well, um, it's kind of a long story, but it really started probably in the early 2000s when I was given my very first personal growth and development book, um, which was the John Maxwell book. And it was the 17 laws of teamwork. And that started me on kind of my own self-induced uh, university of buying leadership books and developing things. And at the time I was working full time and I was also working in a nonprofit the church um very early and very young in my my career in that and I just began to voraciously read as many leadership books as I could get by so many different authors and eventually um after about gosh probably 15, 16 17 years in ministry, um my senior pastor or one of my my direct report pastors asked me, you know, what do you what do you want to do for personal growth? I mean what what are some things that you'd love to do? And I went, nobody's ever asked me that before. And, um, I, I wanted to get some certifications, right. Maybe, uh, marriage counseling, uh, definitely would love to, to have something as a leadership certification, because that's kind of what I was known for in my circles was being a, a really good leader, but not really having any kind of backing to that other than just, you know, my proof, proof in the pudding kind of, so to speak. Um, and so I joined and, um, went through a very difficult season in 2017, got got my certification in August of 2017, launched my business in December. Um, and then over the course of 2018 uh, ended up joining mentorship, uh, decided that this could possibly be a career change and a move for me and launching my own business and in 2019 that's what I did, and became a, a an executive director for the John Maxwell team at the time. And so here I am. i've been uh, I've had my own business since 2017. Um, I left full-time ministry in July, June of 2019. July of 2019 was my first step into the foray of the business world as as a solopreneur. And uh, yeah, I've been just doing what I can to to serve people and add value and help people along the way.
0: Awesome. So on our show, we often talk about people's People's trauma journey or people's experiential journey and what leads them on the paths that they choose to take, especially those choices that lead us to want to serve others. So you mentioned that you were a pastor and you mentioned that that you'd spent a lot of time in that, on that mission, yes. on that journey. So what what was that instigator for you? What what led you to a faith-based yeah. profession?
1: So um I, I I grew up in you know West Texas, uh, kind of the buckle of the Bible Belt, so to speak. And um, I grew up with kind of a faith. It was more of a cultural Christianity than anything. Um, I sowed my seeds of of mischief along the way. Uh, definitely became a, kind of a little bit of a hoodlum. Um, you know, in your small town West Texas, you're just drinking and partying and doing chasing girls and all the things. Ended up getting married. I was about 23, and uh, probably the first year and a half, my wife and I had a lot of marriage issues going on, and we were kind of hit and miss with church, and we ended up getting involved in a Bible study, and by the end of this Bible study, I had such an eye-opening experience about my faith, um, felt really called to make a difference in the world around me through my faith. Um, I had a very powerful conversion experience, uh, went from being in the bar four nights out of the week to being in the church four nights out of the week. Uh, you know, and um, about six months later, I just kind of volunteered to start serving with uh, our youth ministry. It was in September of two thousand and one, I believe. Nope. September of two thousand. And I started volunteering in our youth ministry. At a we had a very very small church, and um, you know, just very shortly thereafter, I was <clears throat> I was leading it, and I was a volunteer on staff at that church for about seven years um, got ordained, uh, as the associate pastor. Uh, then I went from there to a larger church in Arkansas. I was there for six years doing youth and young adult ministry. And I was part of the the lead team of that church. It was, uh, probably about 15, 1800. Then I ended up in a mega church in Midland, Texas, where I was on staff there for six years. And then that's kind of when I transitioned back into the corporate world because I'd kind of come out of corporate, uh, before I went from corporate into a ministry job as a chaplain for a hospice organization before I went full-time into the church world. And uh, so, yeah, so 17, well, 19 years of ministry total, um, and about 12 of that was paid uh, with benefits. It was kind of, ooh, wow, benefits. <laughs> you, can, you can have benefits with this job. And so, yeah, so um, my journey there, was really about the transformation that I that I personally experienced through my encounter with God and understanding that it wasn't about, I tell people this all the time, it's not about wearing the, the team jersey. It's about actually getting on the sidelines and then getting into the field, not just being a spectator you know, uh, to the sport. And that's what happened for me is I went from being a spectator and kind of wearing a, a jersey every now and again to being a, a frontline player uh, in helping, helping to, uh, meet people's needs, uh, serve them where they were, um, help them to, to grow in their faith and become more of what they felt God was calling them to be. And it was, it was an amazing adventure. I loved every minute of it. Um, if you would have ever told me that I would have, that I would leave ministry to, to pursue something outside of it, I would have laughed at you. But, um, at the time, whenever that choice was made, there were There were some decisions that that had been made and some things where I wasn't satisfied with my my job anymore as a pastor. I wasn't really doing the things I felt called to do. And so starting my own business uh, kind of opened the door to do that in a a much more powerful way.
0: So some of you guys out there in the audience might be going, okay, so this guy's not a first responder. This guy's not – this guy's not – Uh, a firefighter or a police officer or he's not talking about his military service and you guys know that that most of my guests have one or more of those of those monikers that they come from those worlds what this season what our intention is is to bring awareness to some first responders that are often not realized so when I say what is what, for us, our definition of what is a first responder, we're talking about those people who serve their country and community who are exposed to the potential of violence, who are exposed to other people's scenarios, other people's pain, other people's suffering, other people's traumatic wounds. and. I want you guys to think about the role of a pastor or the role of a chaplain and then compare that to the role of, um, say, a a hospital employee. So we're we're still talking about someone who's exposed to literally the death of, of an individual and they have to handle the aftermath. So, Ken, can you tell us without you know, any details about, you know, identity or anything like that. Can you talk about a few of your experiences that put you on the front lines, having to hold the burden and the weight of other people's traumatic experiences?
1: Yeah, well, one of the most, um, one of the most powerful and impactful moments, uh, being a first responder um, happened at my last church. Um, We had a student that shot and killed his parents and it rocketed our entire church congregation Um, and it happened on I think it was like a Tuesday maybe even a Tuesday night and I had to stand in front of the congregation of young people um, that he usually sat in and had to address that in front of literally 150 students as to how could something like this happen um, that was one of the more most powerful and impactful ones. Of course, um, there's always, you know, the the uh, marriage crisis that arise. Um, I remember early on in my in my ministry, I got a call at two a.m. because uh, a husband and a spouse were having a pretty pretty intense situation, and they wanted me to come over right then and there um, and and kind of solve that problem. Um, you know, there's been. Uh, hospital visits to people that have been in car accidents or illnesses of course i was a chaplain for a hospice organization uh, two different hospice organizations um, and so being by the bedside with people as they are passing on being with the family um, and learning how to just be have the ministry of presence and just simply being there as a representative as a representative of of faith and you know doing what i can to to serve and to love and to care. And I mean, you don't really have answers in that moment, which I'm sure most of your audience understands that, especially if they've had to ever kind of deal with a traumatic episode. And so you're just there and you're standing as strong as you can to show love and support and be there for the individual. So
0: from your experience, This is the foundation for occupational traumatic stress. A lot of these occurrences happening repeatedly over and over and over again. Does your profession, or did you notice in any of, you you were with multiple organizations, were you taught about post-traumatic stress and the signs and symptoms and given resources to help yourself stay healthy?
1: no not at all actually um and you and i have talked about this before the the pastoral profession is one that is actually applauded for self-sacrifice and giving of yourself above and beyond others um, it's not uncommon for people to be upset with you if you didn't answer their phone call when you were on vacation uh, when they were having a traumatic experience with their family um, you know somebody passed away and they they call you to let you know and you Don't get back to them right away and they're like, well, why didn't you call me back? Well, I was on vacation with my family, but I needed you. You know, it's it's things like that. You know, as a as a firefighter or police officer, you know, and you're not on call, you're on vacation. Ideally, you're leaving the beeper, the pager, whatever it is, and you're taking the week off. But when you're a pastor, everybody in the congregation has your phone number. And um, you know, it's they don't care what time of day or night or what's going on, you're gonna get a call. And so you know, um, the idea of Christianity, I'm going to speak specifically to Christianity because that's the, the denomination I'm, I'm a part of the idea of Christianity is that, you know, you lay down your life for others. That's kind of what Christ said and did. And so as pastors or shepherds, right, we're, we're called shepherds of people. Um, we're kind of expected to say have that same mentality. And unfortunately a lot of times you're not taught how to have healthy boundaries. And um, it causes a lot of strife at home where your wife and your kids are like, dad, you're getting up from the dinner table again. Oh, you've got to leave again. You've got to go do this. You know, um, I actually had one time uh, my wife and I had bought tickets to go see Wicked. And um, we bought them months ahead of time. And one of my pastors had actually called an important meeting the same night. And I said, well, you know, I won't be able to be there. But we bought these tickets. And he's like, no, no, you'll be there. You'll, you know, sell them or give them away or whatever you're, you're needed there. But at the end of the day, that that wasn't um, it wasn't an important meeting that he hadn't already shared at a staff meeting and that he didn't share later on that week and then share on Sunday morning. It's like I've already gotten this information and you're going to give it, this information out a couple of other times and you're making me cancel. So, you know, it, I mean, there's things like that. Right. And so, yeah, there's definitely a lot of stress. Involved in, in in it that you don't necessarily, um, you're you're taught how to have spiritual coping skills, but the emotional and mental stressors are still there.
0: And the focus is on your relationship with God, not necessarily your relationship with individuals.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, with with Christianity, it's like you're not, especially as a pastor, you don't want to be the the answer. To every to everyone's problems you don't want to be jesus you want to point them to jesus but at the same time a lot of times you're kind of a stand-in representative for that and so it's it's just an interesting place to be as a as a pastor and i never even thought about pastors and chaplains being a first responder until you said something to me about that and i was like oh my gosh you you're exactly right my wife is a nurse um you know and so i get that part of being a first responder. Um, But then when you mentioned the fact that as a pastor, I was one, I was like, oh, wow, she is, she is totally right. i never even like those of us in the field don't even realize that we're first responders as well.
0: Right. There's a, there's a, you mentioned it and you like encapsulated it perfectly is how we define it is exactly what you said. That sacrificing your life, basically your wants, needs and desires for others and having just a an acceptance and a knowledge that their needs come first so your family automatically knows that their needs are secondary to the mission to the job to the calling whatever you guys want to call it whatever it is that profession takes over that first place position where in a healthy model in a healthy work environment yeah, work comes secondary to your yeah. personal wants, needs, and desires, and to your family yeah. and your your life. Yeah. Your yeah. life becoming secondary is one of the key components.
1: Yeah, and and we we talk about that in in ministry as well. I mean, you can talk with any pastor that you want to, and ideally, we know that God, family, and then ministry. But it's so easy for those lines to be blurred and crossed, and one as pastors we're not taught how to set those boundaries and we don't teach our congregation how to respect those boundaries. <laughs> you know, I mean it's it's true. It's crazy but it's true.
0: Right. So, coming from a system that ultimately is failing to support its most important members because the pastors and the and the chaplains are ultimately the most important pieces of the church. The congregation that needs you cannot be there if you guys are not strong and healthy and well supported. So we talk a lot about tearing down systems that are minimizing or tearing down first responder lives. So just off the top of your head, and I know I'm throwing you under the bus here, what could the church do what could the system and organization do to help better prepare people who go into the professions that you were in?
1: Well, one, one is not just teaching about God, family ministry, but actually giving support tools for that, you know, and setting churches up so that the pastor isn't the end all be all uh, of the resource. One of the churches that I was a part of had an excellent system that was built around um, life groups, cell groups, small groups, whatever you want to call them, where you were literally setting people up as, you know, mini surrogate pastors for smaller communities, you know. And so if there was something within the community, you know, the t- 10, 12 people in the small group that needed to be addressed. The, the small group leader would handle it, and if he couldn't handle it, then it was elevated up to what we call generational pastors, which were uh, people that oversaw multiple small groups. And then beyond that, if something else needed to be escalated, then it would eventually come to a pastoral presence. And that's that's great, but not every single member of a congregation is is involved in a group like that. Um, and so that was a very healthy structure and it worked very well. Um, and at the time it was, it was taught very well that your needs are going to be met through your local, your smaller community, your smaller group community. Um, but not every church is set up that way. Like I said, I was in a very, very tiny church that was less than 200 people. Um, and you know, the pastor was bivocational and I was a volunteer, you know, and and so there's not a whole lot of building that infrastructure and and you know when something is that small, you know, it, it kind of is a one-man operation, so to speak. And then the next church that I was at, the much bigger one, was very mu- very much built that way. But there were still some things that were a little out of whack. And then when I ended up at the mega church, um there was a lot of talk about the small group community and those kind of things, but they weren't actually built in a way that created that that structure and that support. And so there was I mean, to me, I think equipping the saints for the work of ministry is what, you know, how we kind of put it. It's, uh, it's in Ephesians 4. And really helping empower the people in the community to take care of the community alleviates the stress and the, the pressure on the pastor to be on call all the time. I mean, it still happens. But that's one one good way. But the other way is establishing healthy boundaries, right? Teaching young pastors, people stepping into ministry, how to have healthy boundaries, um, because we do. I mean, when we first get into ministry, we're not cynical, we're not jaded. We we want to help everybody. Oh, I want to just help people know Jesus, right? Or I want to serve people when they're when they're struggling, and so you you get overzealous, and you you can very easily burn the candle at both ends.
0: I hear you saying. And, and this is going to be a really, really fun conversation for some of our folks listening. I'm hearing the parallel between bringing in and teaching peer support and, and creating these resources where where the system can support itself on multiple different levels and giving people those resources and giving people the knowledge that they need to be able to support each other. Mm-hmm. So that early mental health and social skills and relationship skills and all of those important tools and resources that we're talking about here with the rise up system are just as imperative in this system as they are in say a police department or a fire department or a hospital so these systems of teaching these systems of knowledge are applicable differently but applicable to all of our public servants roles so you're literally talking from a common sense standpoint that why doesn't this just exist everywhere like this is so so common sense and and this is the this is what would fix it right this is how Mm -hmm. we do this so being not in in those environments uh, and being able to see exactly what that piece is that's missing is is really really fun and it's a great conversation starter so the other thing that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about is moving from that into your own business. What was that about for you and and how is that like what do you feel of around that?
1: Yeah. So what led to it is there was a transition at my my last church where I they moved me from one position where I was overseeing uh, the the entire youth department and some things along those lines and I was speaking on a regular basis, you know, two to three times a month. Um, I was leading internship programs with young young people that were interested in ministry. I was training them up, equipping them, those kind of things. Um, and I was doing a lot of individual kind of counseling and those kind of things as well, doing some one on one discipleship. And then when I transitioned to the new position, it wasn't like that at all. It was literally. I, I was responsible for uh, making sure certain events were happening. I was more of an event organizer and planner. Um, I was responsible for um, managing uh, volunteers on a Sunday morning. Uh, And when I would try to gather people together to do some equipping and some training, um, very few people had buy-in. There wasn't a lot of vision for what they were doing and not a lot of people would show up. And it was very hard to, to, get and maintain a successful volunteer workforce in the position that I was in. Um, And, you know, I was doing a lot of curriculum writing and managing different classes and things. One Sunday morning, I counted, I was responsible for 13 different departments that were happening. And um, that really wasn't what I got into ministry for. I wanted the hands-on, you know, one-on-one doing the work of ministry, preaching the gospel, those kind of things. And so um, as the time progressed and I began to realize that I, I just didn't enjoy my day-to-day, my Monday through Thursday, loved Sundays, right? Loved being with the people and praying with people and, and supporting people that way. Um, but the all the planning and all the stuff Monday through Thursday just wasn't hitting that for me. But through the the john maxwell team right i was leading masterminds in the evening which is very much like a small group discipleship we're holding each other accountable we're learning we're growing i was doing coaching which is very much like one-on-one discipleship um, helping helping people to to grow and become exactly what they wanted to do and be in either their business or their personal life and i was also taking vacation days to go and speak at um, organizations uh, teaching and training them about leadership And so everything that I loved about ministry, I was doing apart from ministry as my little side business. And so eventually it was like, you know, are you happy here? And I was like, I'm not unhappy, but I'm not happy. I'm not just ecstatic to be here. So the discussion happened and we ended up moving towards uh, me leaving the church and starting my own business. Um, And so that's what I did. Little did I know that there was a pandemic right around the corner (laughs) little did i know how difficult it was going to be to start this business i mean i saw the need for what i was doing um but the community i was in and i mean most people most people don't really think about a firefighter until their house is on fire you know they're just kind of there and so you know providing a service for people that that's not top of mind for became very very difficult for me to get into and then So I started, I went full-time with my business in July. July was good. But as we got closer to the holidays, business started to trickle off. And then as it was starting to pick back up in the spring, we had the pandemic launch. And that was just a crazy time. So I definitely had to learn how to pivot and do some things. And then in the middle of the pandemic, we moved uh, to a new city where I knew zero people. And uh, I restarted, launched my business all over again. So yeah, it's been a fun journey for sure.
0: So I'm going to throw you under the bus again because we didn't talk about about this. But Mm -hmm. uh, your wife is a nurse. Mm -hmm. So what was that experience being the husband, being the support system for someone who is in the middle of that pandemic?
1: Yeah. Well, at the time of the pandemic, I was actually uh, working part time as a chaplain as well. So my wife at the time was a hospice nurse. Um, and she was in management at a hospice organization there, uh, in the city we were at and she, um, it it was very difficult. They were running out of supplies. They, you know, she was exhausted just carrying the mental stress. I mean, literally you're dealing with people that are on the verge of dying, but now you have this virus that if they're exposed to it speeds up and harkens the, the, the clock so to speak. and you know so you're doing everything that you can to be as safe as you can with your clients at the same time you're dealing with supply shortages you know you're having to you know have one in 95 mask that you know this is my my one mask you know and glove shortages and all the things that we saw um it was very stressful um and of course I was a chaplain at the time and the chaplain became a non primary caregiver and so whenever it happened, I shaved off my beard so I could have my N95 mask, which that was a big thing because I'd had my beard for years and years. Um, and then I ended up never seeing a patient again. It was strictly be, via the phone, um, if they wanted to talk, um, if not, so it was a very stressful time for for, for us as well. At the same time, um, just prior to the pandemic, we found out that my father-in-law was having health issues. That's what spurred our move here to Waco. So here we are in the middle of a pandemic. We're dealing with my business that's not taking off very well because of the pandemic and everything else. We're dealing with the pandemic. We're dealing with a special needs daughter that is now being homeschooled via uh, Zoom. We're dealing with a, uh, I guess she was in junior high, a junior high daughter that's trying to, to you know, learn how to do work from home. Um, dealing with the pandemic as a chaplain and as a nurse. I mean, it was just insane. And then, oh, we've got, we've got our, uh, my father-in-law who has a reoccurrence of cancer. And this time he's on some very heavy chemotherapy. And it looks like there's a possibility that he might not make it through. So it, there was so many stressors during that season and during that time. It was, uh, it was pretty intense. And, uh, you know, we, we fasted. We prayed felt like it was time to make the move. We moved to Waco. Uh, my wife came here for an interview and at the same time we loaded up both vehicles and a trailer and she came for an interview. And while she was interviewing me and the kids unloaded everything and put it in the storage building because we literally moved here by faith. And, uh, you know, then we went back home and she got a call a few days later that they wanted her to come to work. And so we just finished packing up the house and, you know, she was working, she was living and working here for about two weeks um, before she was living here for, And staying with her parents an hour and a half away um, and driving back and forth um, while I was while we were waiting for our rental. And I was back in Midland packing everything up and trying to get everything put together. So it was definitely an interesting season for us.
0: And you've struggled with your own mental health challenges throughout this as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. In about 2010, I was reading I was reading a, a youth ministry book on you know building sustainable youth ministries and chapter eight began to talk about an emotionally unhealthy youth worker. And as I was reading through it, I started circling things. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I looked at my wife and I said, I mean, like literally there's red flags all over the, all over the page. And I looked at mom and I was like, honey, I, I think I might need counseling. And she looked at me and she goes, you think <laughs> <laughs> like she had, she had seen this coming for a long time. And so in two, I think it was 2010, I went and um, started seeing a counselor. Um, And I, you know, being a person of faith, right. I I had tried to pray depression away, which at the time, I, I mean, I assumed it was depression, but it wasn't like, oh, I'm depressed. It's just like, oh, these signs show that I'm depressed. Tried praying it away, tried fasting it away, tried, you know, all the things. Um, and I ended up going to this counselor and, you know, he sat down and we started talking. He goes, well, first thing I just want you to know, according to the tests, you're clinically depressed. And you showed up here today because you think you're broken and you you want somebody to fix you. And he said, you're not broken. You've got some things that you need to work on. You need to learn how to cope with some things. Um, but this is the way God made you. And, you know, this is this is kind of what you have to learn how to handle and I, I just left there crying because in ministry right your your pastor isn't your pastor he's your boss and so you know you, you don't just go in there and say man i'm just struggling to get out of bed in the mornings i don't know what's going on you know you just you go yeah i everything's okay i'm just i'm just real tired you know or whatever um and it makes sense because you're running all the time. you're just constantly going 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 you're out of the house four or five nights out of the week on top of your normal Monday through Thursday or Sunday through Thursday, you know well actually Saturday because we had a Saturday night service, two Sunday morning services, a Sunday evening small group service time, a Wednesday evening youth group. I was literally going all the time. Um, and so I started going to the counselor and he addressed some issues and recommended that I get on some antidepressants and and it was fantastic. It was life-changing for me. Um, and I continued to see him until we moved uh, to West Texas. Um, I end up getting off the medication, the antidepressants. Um, when I moved to West, West Texas, being in a new environment, new stressors, new pressures, new um, unexpected events kind of happening. And you go, okay, you know what? I need to go find a counselor. And then that's not easy finding a counselor that you actually connect well with, um, uh, which i didn't know at the time i just assumed every counselor was as great as my first counselor that's not the case um so i ended up getting back on meds dealing with all that kind of stuff um and then when i launched into my business right you're you're moving from one stressful situation to an entirely new stressful situation right these new stressors and um Man, it hit me. It punched me in the gut, knocked me down. We had some family issues going on at the same time. My wife ended up having to have some unexpected spinal surgery. Um, my son was, I guess, twenty at the time and was acting the fool, so had to deal some, with some stuff with him. And it was, it was, and I ended up hitting what what they call a major depressive disorder, which I didn't know what that was at the time. My wife had gone through it previously, and uh, I I understood at that moment, why she was the way she was a few years previous, right? You, you just, you get out of bed, you take your kid to school, you come back home, you go back to bed and you get up to go get, get your kid from school and you've done nothing all day. Um, we tried some med changes, which made things worse. It was just, it was just not a pleasant time for me. And so um, making the move, uh, all of those kind of things that I did, I did in the midst of depression. Um, struggling and trying to figure out how I was gonna how I was gonna provide for my family with not so easy marketable skills, right? As a pastor, you've got a plethora of skills. You you know you're great. You'd be a great CEO or whatever, you know. And then all of a sudden, you're in the job market that, unless you have a degree or you have a previous, um, a previous job as a C whatever, you're not gonna get a job doing that. And so trying to find jobs, I couldn't even get a job as an assistant manager at PetSmart. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was that bad. In the middle of the pandemic, you're trying to find the jobs and all these things. And so we ended up moving. And um, basically, I just, through the support of my wife and my father-in-law, I was like, you know what? I've invested too much in this business to just drop it. So I started it all over in the town. I didn't know anybody. And got out of the house and spent a lot of time on Zoom meetings and getting to know people. And and here I am today. You know, we're, we're gosh, this is 2023. We're literally almost three years past the pandemic or three years anniversary of the pandemic is upon us, right? And uh, it's been an interesting journey to say the least. But um, once again, it always goes back to the community of people that you surround yourself with. You know, and so finding, finding uh, groups of like-minded entrepreneurs, uh, people of like-minded faith that are also entrepreneurs, um, getting, getting good um, medical workers, like getting a good psychiatrist, getting a, a good doctor, getting, getting all of those things are key and imperative to, um, to making sure that you're able to make it through the depression And at the same time, people always ask me, well, how could you be in such major depression if you're full of faith? I mean, I was reading my Bible. I was praying. I was journaling. I was hearing from God in the midst of all of it. And I think that's the thing that helped me make it through the depression was I kept hearing uh, internally. Don't give up. Keep pressing ahead. I've got you. You're going to be okay." Like I literally have stacks of journals from the last four, four years. Uh, where God's just telling me, don't give up. It's gonna be okay.
0: Yeah, I don't recall the Bible ever saying life is supposed to be easy.
1: <laughs> no, actually, if uh, if you're a Bible person and you read the Book of Psalms, you realize that David was actually pretty depressed most of the time, <laughs> right? God's you know God's chosen king. There were so many Psalms that he'd written in the midst of depression and struggles. You know, I mean it's just it's part of life that a lot of times in scripture we we gloss over.
0: So before we go today, what yeah. is one actionable step that you would say to people out there that are living the life but aren't fully living the life?
1: Yeah. Well, my first my first response is that you're not alone, right? There are people just like you struggling with exactly the same things. And all you have to do is find them, ask for the help that you need, right? Get into a community uh, of people. Like if you're, if you're a police officer struggling with mental health issues, there are resources. Krista can point you to that. Right. There's there's organizations that can help you if you're a firefighter, if you're a paramedic, an EMT, if you're a nurse. Right. There's there. There is no lack of support in the world today for whatever it is that you're going through. There are organizations for pastors who are suffering burnout, people that I mean, it doesn't matter what you're doing. There's support out there for you. Um, The second thing for me, and it's because I've experienced it. Um, is that you need to look to the heavens. You need to look to a higher source. You were created by a creator and you need to connect with that creator to find out your purpose and your passion in order to be, um, in order to be strengthened for the journey that you have in this life. And so for me, that's my faith in Christ um, because When you know that you're connected with the creator no matter how alone you feel you're actually not alone and that's huge Um, no matter how depressed i got no matter how bad things were financially for us or whatever i never once thought about suicide you know because a lot of times people feel so hopeless that that seems to be the only answer and it's not it's never it's never that bad there's always somebody that you can lean on that you can reach out to that can help you. Um, and so that's, that's what I would say is find that community of people struggling with what you're struggling with and, uh, and then look to, look to a higher source outside of yourself.
0: All right. And can just for people who might be interested in your services, who have, um, tell us a little bit about yeah. what you're offering now and yeah. how people can get a hold of you.
1: Yeah, so I own Noble Leadership Solutions. Um, I basically, I develop people, I train leaders, and I, and I inspire the masses. So I do a lot of public speaking for fundraisers, events, MC things. Um, I go into companies and organizations and do leadership training, whether it's Maxwell's uh, training style or other types of things. And then uh, I also work one-on-one with people, uh, coaching and helping business owners, uh, solopreneurs, Uh, launch and grow their business and, and, and grow it to the next level, whatever that might be. And of course the best way to find me is just through email, Ken Noble at noble leadership solutions.com. You can find me on my, my website. I'm pretty easy to find through social media at the Ken Noble, T H E K E N N O B L E. So, um, so yeah, I just really want to serve. That's kind of why I came on here today. Anything that I can do to add value to your, your, audience is is why I'm here. It's what I showed up for today.
0: Thank you so much for being here with us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor.
0: Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us today. And I really look forward to bringing you voices from the front line. Uh, Some of our guests have amazing stories of survival. Some of them have amazing stories of sacrifice. Some of them have amazing stories of impact. So keep watching. We are going to have an episode every week and we are back to our normal schedule. So if you'd like to support our programs or our podcast, you can make a donation that is tax deductible to our 501c3 nonprofit, battletobee.org. And I just pointed the wrong direction because everything is backwards on video. Or you can... uh, or you can click the button. If you're watching this podcast on Anchor, there is a support this podcast button and you can do that as well. So please follow us on Facebook at Battle2B or at Krista Either way, you'll see all of our updates. We are getting ready to prepare for our spring Berryman Mission, which is going to be taking our 2020 Jeep Gladiator Phoenix, which is our memorial vehicle that carries the names of the fallen. We're going to be driving her from Texas all the way up to Washington State and back. So we're going to make a make a big loop up the coast and then through more interior states to take plaques to families of the fallen, especially those who have fallen outside of their line of duty or service the light of their service is never diminished by their cause of death and we want to bring a lot of awareness to the humanity of our public servants and to the sacrifice made by the families of our public servants so please support our organization and please keep an eye on what we're what we're doing and alone we're just a drop in the ocean but together we create a tidal wave so we can't do this work without you Thank you so much and have an amazing, amazing week.